Turn to the epistle of Paul to Philemon. Short epistle in the New Testament after 1st, 2nd Timothy and Titus, right before Hebrews, book of Philemon. This epistle has only one chapter, so we'll read the entire epistle together. Paul, a prisoner of Jesus Christ, and Timothy, our brother, unto Philemon, our dearly beloved and fellow laborer, and to our beloved Apphia and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and to the church in thy house. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God, making mention of thee always in my prayers, hearing of thy love and faith, which thou hast toward the Lord Jesus and toward all saints, that the communication of thy faith may become effectual by the acknowledging of every good thing which is in you in Christ Jesus. For we have great joy and consolation in thy love, because the bowels of the saints are refreshed by thee, brother. Wherefore, though I might be much bold in Christ to enjoin thee, that which is convenient, yet for love's sake, I rather beseech thee, being such an one as Paul the aged, and now also a prisoner of Jesus Christ. I beseech thee for my son Onesimus, whom I have begotten in my bonds, which in time past was to thee unprofitable, but now profitable to thee and to me, whom I have sent again, Thou therefore receive him, that is, mine own bowels, whom I would have retained with me, that in thy stead he might have ministered unto me in the bonds of the gospel. But without thy mind would I do nothing, that thy benefit should not be as it were of necessity, but willingly. For perhaps he therefore departed for a season, that thou shouldest receive him, forever, not now as a servant, but above a servant, a brother beloved, specially to me, but how much more unto thee, both in the flesh and in the Lord. If thou count me therefore a partner, receive him as myself. If he hath wronged thee or oweth thee aught, put that on mine account. I, Paul, have written it with mine own hand. I will repay it, albeit I do not say to thee how thou owest unto me, even thine own self besides. Yea, brother, let me have joy of thee in the Lord. Refresh my bowels in the Lord. Having confidence in thy obedience, I wrote unto thee, knowing that thou wilt also do more than I say. But withal prepare me also a lodging, For I trust that through your prayers I shall be given unto you. There salute thee Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, Marcus, Aristarchus, Demas, Lucas, my fellow laborers. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. 
On the basis of this passage and the rest of the scriptures, we have the Catechism's instruction in Lord's Day 21, and we are going to consider this morning the 55th question and answer. Question 55 asks, what do you understand by the communion of saints? First, that all and everyone who believes, being members of Christ, are in common partakers of him and of all his riches and gifts. Secondly, that everyone must know it to be his duty, readily and cheerfully to employ his gifts for the advantage and salvation of other members. Beloved in the Lord, in the same breath as we confess an holy Catholic Church of Christ, we also confess the communion of Christ's saints. Last week we looked at that masterpiece of God's grace, which is the universal body of Christ, the holy Catholic Church. And now, this morning, we're going to look at the very same reality, but from a different point of view. The communion of the saints is the same reality, the same masterpiece of God's grace as the Catholic Church, but looked at from a different point of view. We looked at the fact that the church, in her essence, is God's people. The gathering of elect believers and their children, who are gathered by the operation of the Spirit, employing the instrument of The word. The communion of the saints is the life of God's people. The people of God who are gathered together by the word and spirit live together. And the thing that defines their life together is communion. The church is not merely an organization. It is that... It is an organization designed by God, an organization that is instituted with offices which carry out an official work, but the church is more than that. The church is a covenant community, a new community, and the organization of the church and the official work of the church through her offices is designed by God to cultivate that community, to cultivate its life, to strengthen the communion that exists among the members of the church, to build the church through the ingathering of elect saints who yet wander in darkness, bringing sheep into the fold. The church is God's covenant people. It has life. And that's what we are going to look at This morning, the communion of God's people together. The communion of Christ's saints. That's our theme, and we have two points. First, what it is. We're going to look at this reality, what it is. And then secondly, and here's where we will spend more of our time, we're going to look at how this reality is lived out. And we're going to focus especially on the instruction that the little epistle Philemon gives with regard to living out the communion of the saints. What is it 
This communion of the saints which we confess. This communion of the saints which the Bible teaches. The idea of the communion of the saints is a rich idea. It's something we know by experience. We experience the communion of the saints in the church. But behind and beneath this experience is an objective spiritual reality which God has created. A beautiful fruit of His saving grace in Jesus Christ. The communion of the saints can be described as the new life of intimate fellowship and friendship that God's people share with one another. A new life of intimate friendship and fellowship that is rooted and grounded in Jesus Christ and in His work. The church is a people, God's people, the gathering of God's people. God saves His people in Christ. God unites His people to Christ. God gives them the gift of faith and the rest of the saving benefits that flow to them from Christ. But God doesn't save in isolation. He gathers a flock. He saves a body. He puts together a people. And as He puts together that people, the individual persons... Don't live separately, but live together as a people, as a community of faith. A community of faith that worships together, yes, that gathers together on the Lord's day indeed, but more than that, lives together, weaves the lives of the individual members together, serves together, supports one another, pilgrimages together down life's pathway toward their common, eternal Home, the house of God. The church is a body that is meant to live together. Just as your human body only lives and flourishes when it is together. Start cutting parts off and those parts are going to die. And the health of the body is going to suffer much. A people is meant to be a people together. That's the communion of the saints. Our common life together. And now, concerning that new life, it is a lively life. God's people are not a dead people. Not anymore. We were, by nature, dead in trespasses and sins. But the members of the church are quickened by the Holy Spirit, reborn with a new life. Children brought into the family of God. We are not dead anymore, but have the new life of Christ in us. And that new life of Christ manifests itself in the communion of the saints. Life that is lively. That means the communion of the saints is not a bunch of saints hibernating together. In a bunker, waiting for Christ to come. The communion of the saints is not a hibernating people, but a living, active, energetic people who busy themselves in the things of the gospel and the kingdom of Jesus Christ. Last week we looked at 1 Peter 2 and looked at the description there of the individual members of the church as lively stones. Living and lively. We are revived by by the Spirit, indwelt by the Spirit. Now we must walk in the Spirit. Spiritually alive, we must spiritually live out that new life given to us. We are a new people, a changed people. 
called out of darkness into light. And now as children of the light, we are called to walk in the light together, shining as lights in this dark world, both in word and in deed, both in word and deed towards our fellow members within the community of the saints and in our words and deeds to those who are without. Communion of the saints is a vibrant new life at the heart of which is friendship and fellowship. Because that's the essence of life. That's what real life is. Life isn't just existing. Life lived to the fullest is fellowshipping. That reflects the very life of God. The God of the covenant within himself, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Whose divine life is not a mere existence, but is a life of love, friendship, and fellowship. And God has designed his people now... To live a life that reflects, that captures in a creaturely way and in a creaturely measure something of the glory of who he is as the God of fellowship. Thus, the people of God, the church, is a wonder work of God's grace. And the life that the church lives is also a wonder work of God's grace. The communion of Christ's saints. Now, this communion, this new community must have a source and must have a foundation. And that source and foundation is none other than the Lord Jesus Christ. The communion of the saints flows out of our union with Christ. To use the common and helpful illustration that Jesus himself gives in John 15, we are all as branches grafted into that true vine. And though we are very different branches, dead by nature, when we're grafted into the true vine, we become one with the vine. We become members of Christ's body. And when we are made one with Christ, we are made one with one another as well. And now the life, the life of the saints, that energetic, lively life, where does it come from? It flows to the branches from the vine. It flows to us from Christ Jesus. That's where the catechism begins. In its explanation of the communion of the saints. It begins by explaining its source and foundation. What do you understand by the communion of the saints? This in the first place. That all and everyone who believes being members of Christ are in common partakers of him and all his riches and gifts. This is very similar to the instruction we were given in Lord's Day 20. Where the work of the Holy Spirit is explained to us. Because it is the Spirit who connects us to Christ, who unites us to Christ, and causes us to receive all of the riches, gifts, and benefits of Christ. The communion of the saints is rooted in our union with Christ. Without Christ, there is no church. There is no communion of the saints. There is no life. It is all of Him. And it is all brought into our possession by the powerful work Of the spirit. That's a beautiful reality to meditate upon. Believer. All and everyone who believes the catechism says. Is united to Jesus Christ. And by virtue of your union with him. You are united to all the rest. Who believe in him. 
So much so that Romans 12 verse 5 can say, So we being many are one body in Christ, every one members one of another. Pick a name. A name of a fellow believer. You are a member of him or her. and He or she is a member of you. So tightly bound are you together. So closely knit. United by virtue of your union to Christ. And thus we are, as the Catechism says, in common partakers of all of his benefits. That union is the source of the real, rich, sweet, blessed communion that only saints, God's people, share. It's something that's beyond even the deepest bonds of natural love and affection. It's a spiritual kinship crafted by the hand of God's grace. It's something entirely unique and special. And that's what you share with all who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. As the catechism says. Therefore, you need to connect that back to the Catholicity of the church. The communion of the saints is far more expansive than this local congregation. Though, we're going to focus on that later because here is where the, the... Communion of the saints is especially experienced in the local congregation, but it's far wider, and it extends to all who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. It crosses human boundaries. It crosses denominational boundaries. All who are God's elect people who have a genuine faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, you are in communion with them. By virtue of your common union with Christ and common partaking and enjoyment of All of his riches and gifts. What a beautiful reality. With our fellow saints. Sinners made saints by the saving grace of God. We share what is most important. And so. So what? If we have different backgrounds. If we were raised in a different way. We're all born again in the same way, into the same spiritual family with the same spiritual life. So what if you and that other person in the church belongs to a different class or position in society or at the workplace? That's not what defines your relationship and that must not. You're co-heirs of the grace of life together. And what above all defines your relationship with your saints, or with your fellow saints, is not common interests, not a common position in society, but the fact that you are, as Philemon so often emphasizes, brothers and sisters in the Lord Jesus Christ, bought with his precious blood. Together, we call upon the same God as Father, We look into the same Christ as our elder brother and savior. We have all that is of eternal significance in common. And now apply that. That means anything that would divide us or prevent us from having fellowship with each other is of minute significance in comparison to what we share. 
And that ought to live in our consciousness and that ought to be on the forefront of our minds as we as sinners live with other sinners and deal with conflict, deal with disagreement, deal with offense that comes up in the body of Christ. We work to resolve those things in a biblical way because the expression of the union that we have in Christ is so very important to us. We're not going to let those things destroy our friendships, divide our fellowship. Because we in common are partakers of Christ and all his riches, brother, sister, in Jesus Christ, part of the same everlasting family that's going to eternally live under one roof in heaven. May that perspective of eternity loom large in our minds in all of our dealings with one another. That's the communion of the saints. And moreover, think about all the things that we have that we can connect on. Even if we are very different from an earthly point of view. Even if we have different interests, different backgrounds, different experiences. As sinners saved by grace, we all have the same spiritual needs. We all have the same struggles against the flesh. We have the same Lord who meets our needs. We know the joy of the same forgiveness of sins. We have the same goal of glorifying God in all that we say or do. We have the same hope, the same love. We are baptized into the same spiritual family. If we have all of that in common, how can it be that we sometimes say of others in the church, we're just too different, I I, just don't want much to do with that person. We just can't connect on anything. There's no fellowship there. Well, oh, we have so much in common. So much reason to connect. To build a relationship. Friendship, fellowship in the church is rooted in Christ and who we are in Christ and what we have in common in Christ. And Christ lays a foundation that is strong. That allows for the building of solid relationships in the church of Christ. Despite earthly differences. It's in the communion of the saints where we find the deepest friendship. The richest fellowship. True love that deserves to be called love because it follows in the footsteps of Christ's love. Whose love is the love from which all love flows. A new community that is strong and everlasting because of the foundation that it's built upon. What a beautiful reality. The communion of the saints. But now we transition from the reality to putting that reality into practice. And that's the basic logic of the gospel of Christ. The basic logic that you find throughout the scriptures is, here is what God has done. Here is what his sovereign grace has accomplished. And now by the power of the Spirit, live out of what God has done. Here is the reality of the the communion of the saints. You are united to Christ And therefore, united to all others who are united to Christ. You have this blessed communion now. Let us live it out together. Let us live it out joyfully. For the glory of God. And for the upbuilding of the body of Jesus Christ. How do we live out the communion of the saints? Well, that is a very, very broad subject. 
You're going to have a series on living out the communion of the saints. But we're going to focus especially on a few things that come out in the book of Philemon. And so now we turn to our scripture reading. Philemon gives us a beautiful snapshot of the communion of the saints in action. Of sinners saved by grace living out the reality of the communion of the saints. Now, the book of Philemon may possibly be a bit unfamiliar to us. And for that reason, the first section of the second point here, I'm going to take some time to walk us through this book, explain what it is about, so that we can apply it to the communion of the saints. Philemon. It's a unique book in the New Testament. It is an epistle, a letter, but it is different from most of the other epistles in the New Testament in this way. Philemon is a private, personal letter of the Apostle Paul to an individual man named Philemon. The other epistles in the New Testament focus on an entire church or several churches in a region. But Paul wrote this epistle to address a specific issue with one individual brother in Christ. Paul wrote Philemon from prison in Rome. And though this epistle is directed especially to Philemon, we notice in the opening verses that Paul does address some other members of the church. He addresses a woman whose name was Apphia. And we don't know exactly who she was, but it's, it's possible that she was either Philemon's wife or a prominent member in the church. Paul also mentions Archippus, who may have been a relative of Philemon, but we know from Colossians 4 verse 17, was a man who engaged in ministry in the church in Colossae. The opening verses of Philemon speak of the church in thy house. In the early days of the New Testament, Christians didn't have church buildings. They didn't have a public place to worship. And so the congregations that were founded during Paul's missionary journeys usually met in the private homes of a member. Often a wealthy member would open up his or her house for the church There to gather for worship and fellowship. Think of Lydia in Philippi. Very likely, the church in Philippi met in Lydia's house. And so it is here. Philemon was a member of the church of Colossae. We'll see the proof for that in a moment. And he opened up his house to the members of the church, and there they gathered for worship and for fellowship. Now, we can determine that Philemon was a member of the church in the city of Colossae by comparing Philemon with the book of Colossians. The names that appear at the end of Philemon, those men who are Paul's fellow laborers, who send their greetings to Philemon and the others, we learn in the book of Colossians that some of those men were members of the church in Colossae. So for example, if we look at Colossians chapter 1, verse 7, we have a mention of a man named Epaphras. As ye also learned of Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is for you a faithful minister of Christ. So Colossians 1 verse 7 mentions this man Epaphras, and Paul identifies him as the minister in the church of Colossae. Now, later on, 
In Colossians 4 verse 12, Paul says this, Epaphras, who is one of you. So Paul says to the Colossians, Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ salutes you. And so when Paul wrote the epistle to the Colossians, this Epaphras was with Paul at the time. Now we look back to Philemon, verse 23, and Paul says, There salute thee, Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus. Now put all of these things together. Epaphras is still with Paul at the time that he writes Philemon. In Colossians, we learn that Epaphras is the minister in Colossae and a member of their congregation. And now, with the epistle of Philemon, Epaphras sends his greetings. And by comparing all of these things, we can determine that the church which met in Philemon's house was the congregation in the city of Colossae. The same congregation that Paul wrote Colossians to. Further proof can be found in Colossians 4 verse 10. If we look at Colossians 4 verse 10, Paul says, Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, saluteth you, and Marcus, sister's son to Barnabas, touching whom ye received commandments, if he come unto you and receive him. Those are names you find mentioned in Philemon. And then if you jump up to verse 9, with Onesimus, a faithful and beloved brother, who is one of you. Onesimus is the man that the epistle of Philemon centers on. And so now let's, let's turn to look at this Onesimus a moment. Who is this Onesimus? We find him mentioned here in Colossians 4, and we find him mentioned... In Philemon 1 verse 10, I beseech thee, Paul says to Philemon, for my son Onesimus, whom I have have begotten in my bonds. Philemon was a wealthy man, a prominent citizen perhaps in Colossae. He owned a large house evidently because he could host the church in his house. And as a wealthy man in the Greco-Roman world, it was very common to have many servants and to own slaves. And Onesimus was one of Philemon's slaves. The word servant that appears in the book here to describe Onesimus is really the Greek word slave. Now this slave, Onesimus, had run away from Philemon and had somehow made his way to Rome. Paul was in Rome at this time. He had appealed to Caesar He had gotten to Rome, and now Paul is sitting under house arrest in Rome, waiting for Caesar to hear his case. And we know from the book of Acts that while Paul was under house arrest in Rome, he was able to receive visitors and interact with people. At some point, this Onesimus, who ran away from Colossae, came into contact with Paul in Rome. And under Paul's instruction in the word of God and in the gospel of Jesus Christ, Onesimus was converted and became a Christian. That's what Philemon verse 10 means when Paul says that he begat Onesimus in his bonds. Onesimus became one of Paul's spiritual sons, converted under his ministry. Paul speaks in a similar way about his son Timothy. Think of Timothy, or 1 Timothy 1 verse 2, where Paul addresses Timothy as my own son in the faith. So Onesimus was converted. 
And after his conversion, Onesimus became very profitable to Paul. He ministered to Paul in his bonds. He was a companion to Paul, encouraged him and helped him in various ways. And you can read about Paul, you can read Paul saying that in verse 11 and 13. In verse 11, Paul says to Philemon, which, that's Onesimus, in time past was to thee unprofitable, but now profitable to thee and to me. And in verse 13, whom I would have retained with me, that in thy stead he might have ministered unto me in the bonds of the gospel. Paul saying, Onesimus became so helpful, so profitable to me, that I wish I could retain him as my own helper. But as verse 14 says, Paul would not do this. Because Paul understood Onesimus had left Philemon in the wrong way. And Onesimus needed to go back to Philemon. And that's the purpose of the book of Philemon. The reason Paul wrote this little epistle was to urge Philemon to receive Onesimus back. Not simply as a servant, but as a brother in Jesus Christ. Paul is resolved to send Onesimus back, but not without urging upon Philemon this important truth. Your relationship with this man has been fundamentally transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. He ran away as a heathen, unbelieving servant. But he comes back a very different man. And so Paul says, I beseech thee for my son, Onesimus. And that word beseech there means I urge Upon you, this request. And verse 12 says, whom I have sent again. Paul is sending Onesimus back. Here's what Paul urges. Thou therefore receive him. That is mine own bowels. Receive him as my own son. I have begotten him in my bonds. Receive him. Not as a slave but as a brother beloved. Going on to verse 15, Paul appeals to the providence of God in this whole situation. Onesimus runs away and comes to Rome, where he meets Paul, where he's converted. This didn't just happen by chance. Paul says in verse 15, For perhaps he therefore departed from you for a season, Philemon, that you should receive him forever. Philemon, look with the eyes of faith and see the hand of God in this. Onesimus is not merely a formerly rebellious servant, but God's hand was in this working good. God brought him to Rome. God brought him into contact with me so that God could gather one of his lost children into the fold, into the sheepfold of Christ. Yes, you've lost for a season the the labor of your servant, but look at what you've gained. You've gained a brother in Jesus Christ. That's why he's so profitable to you, Philemon. What profit? What profit? Look at what God has done. You've gained a brother forever. Your relationship is transformed. This is who Onesimus is to you, Philemon. 
He's your brother forever, forever. As the epistle progresses in verses 16 and 17, Paul drives his request home. He says in verse 16, Receive him forever, now not, not now as a servant, but above a servant, a brother beloved, specially to me. But how much more unto thee, both in the flesh and in the Lord. And if thou count me therefore a partner, receive him as myself. Not only receive him as my own son, but receive him as you would receive me. Because you see, in the communion of the saints, master-slave doesn't matter anymore. Social status doesn't matter anymore. Those earthly differences that separate men don't matter. In the communion of the saints, there is brother-beloved, sister-beloved. And so Philemon, when Onesimus comes back to you, you should receive him the same way you would receive the Apostle Paul. Is that how we receive one another in the body of Christ? What a beautiful application there. That's how we are to treat and receive one another. Brother beloved. Sister beloved. Regardless of who you are from an earthly point of view. How beautiful the communion of the saints. In the rest of the letter then, Paul seeks to remove every possible hindrance to Philemon's full reception of Onesimus back into his household and his full embrace of Onesimus as a brother in Christ. Verses 18 and 19, If he hath wronged thee or oweth thee aught, put that on mine account. I, Paul, have written it with mine own hand. I will repay it. Albeit I do not say to thee how thou owest unto me, even thine own self besides. There we see Paul, who so desires to see the fellowship between these two Christian brothers, who so desires to see two spiritual sons of his, not at odds, but in fellowship. He says, if there's any wrong, Philemon, if you've been robbed of something by Onesimus running away. I will cover that debt. Don't let that stand in the way of receiving this brother of yours. So important is living out the communion of the saints. The last part of verse 19, you see how Paul approaches Philemon, not from the mountain peak of his apostolic authority, which he could do, but in this epistle, Paul approaches Philemon brother to brother. That's a striking thing about Philemon. At the beginning of the book, Paul doesn't begin his ordinary way by saying, Paul, an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ. He could say that. But he comes to Philemon brother to brother, and there's a warm and winsome way in which he seeks to persuade Philemon. The end of verse 9, he speaks about how Philemon owes his own self to Paul. And Paul there is, is referring to the fact that Philemon also was converted under the gospel ministry of Paul. And Paul isn't trying to manipulate him or cajole him here. This is, this is the kind of thing close Christian brothers can say to each other. In the context of a warm relationship of love. Rooted in the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul is winsome in his persuasion. And Paul is charitable in his judgment. As verse 21 Indicates, Paul says, having confidence 
in thy obedience I wrote unto thee, knowing that thou wilt also do more than I say. Paul knows Philemon's character, and Paul is confident that Philemon will receive this epistle and act accordingly. He judges his brother charitably. He doesn't expect the worst of Philemon, but expects the best. So that's the book of Philemon in a nutshell. There's a lot more here, but you get the gist of what this book is about. And getting the gist of what this book is about, you see how the communion of the saints just leaps off the page. How much instruction, how much application is there here for us? The whole book illustrates what the life of the church should be like. Lively. With members looking out for one another, caring for one another, loving one another, serving one another. In the church in Colossae, Philemon was a big part of that. Not only did he open up his house to be the place of worship and fellowship, but he provided more than just a venue. He provided himself. He used his gifts for the advantage and salvation of other members. Verse 5 emphasizes that. In verse 4, Paul says, I thank God for you, Philemon, hearing of thy love and faith which thou hast toward the Lord Jesus and toward all saints. You see, faith in Jesus Christ and love for him must overflow into a love for Jesus' people. And having gone through 1 Corinthians 13 recently, we know what that love looks like. It's not merely an intellectual love. It's a love that is above all defined by what it does. The attitude it has towards others. It is a love that takes action, which is a committed and selfless pursuit of the true good of the other person. A love which strives to enjoy fellowship with that person. And Philemon had that kind of love. You go on to verse 7. Paul says, For we have great joy and consolation in your love. Paul has heard about Philemon's love for the saints and it rejoices Paul's heart. This is one of the things that God used to strengthen Paul as he sat in prison. He heard about the fruits of God's grace in the congregations that had been established on his missionary journeys. And he hears about the acts of love that are taking place. The acts of love that are building up God's people. Of Philemon, because the bowels of the saints are refreshed by thee, brother. The idea is, Philemon, your work of love, your ministry in the body of Christ, your care for, and what you do for your fellow believers, refreshes them in their inner man. God uses your love for them as a means to strengthen them to carry on in their Christian lives. Which is not easy. It's the first generation of Christians in a very pagan city like Colossae. There's the, the communion of the saints that is lively, that brings glory to God, and edifies, builds up the church. Philemon was one who refreshed the saints. May that be the case with us as well. 
And so, let's turn to apply this a little bit. How do we live out the communion of the saints in light of what we see here in the book of Philemon? Well, there are two very important components to the communion of the saints that we see in Philemon that we're going to apply to ourselves now. The first is fellowship, and the second is service. You see both of these in Philemon. First, fellowship. Fellowship within the body of Christ. Fellowship is the life of the church, because the church is God's covenant people. Fellowship means living together in friendship. It means being together, worshiping together, sharing our lives together, building strong relationships with one another in the church. And it's especially in the local congregation where this communion of the saints is especially realized. Yes, the the fellowship, the communion of the saints, extends as far as the Catholic Church. But God, in His providence, gathers His people into local congregations. And just as Onesimus running away and going to Rome and meeting Paul and then coming back was not accidental, so too, the makeup of every local congregation, the makeup of our congregation is not accidental. It's not happenstance. It's not because we all happen to live closest to this congregation. But the ultimate reason is God has put us here. God has put us together because it is God's will that you and I live closely together, weave our lives together, be friends with one another, share the communion of the saints together, How beautiful that is. There is a richness to the life of a local congregation. A richness that you can't find anywhere else. God makes the local congregation a special place. And he gives special blessings in that local congregation. God puts together a people spiritual family has them live together, build their relationships together. So when the communion of the saints shapes our mindset, shapes our outlook, we look out at the fellow members of our local congregation and we say, these are my people. This is my family. And I love them. They're important to me. And as the catechism says on the basis of the word of God, I I have duties towards them. And I don't see that as a burden. I see it as a privilege. I see it as something that brings my heart joy as it did Philemon. Philemon was a man who loved to live among God's saints, to open up his house to God's saints, to be with God's saints, to refresh them in their inner man. And that's the privilege of every saint. In order for fellowship to flourish in the local congregation, we need to have in our midst then the gospel transformation of relationships that we see in the book of Philemon. Where the gospel of Christ casts down every earthly wall of partition that separates. And where the gospel of Christ And the truth of union with him and communion with him. That that truth is the controlling principle 
that defines how we relate with one another and deal with one another, then we see and we live with one another as brother beloved, sister beloved. Then fellowship cuts across those lines of earthly differences. Then fellowship doesn't fragment into different segments, but involves the whole. Then there is no caste system in the church of Christ, no princes of the church, no noble families, no persons who esteem themselves because of an apparent superior lineage or background, no insiders versus outsiders, but all one in Christ. Brother, sister, beloved, whose differences, whose background, whose peculiar gifts are given by God for the enrichment of the whole. So that rather than looking askance at that brother or sister who's so different from me, I say thanks be to God for that brother or that sister because he or she supplies something to this local congregation that I don't. And I'm thankful for that. I rejoice in that. For fellowship to flourish, we need to have relationships that are marked by Christian love. Love that is trusting. Love that is open. Love that doesn't fear. 1 John 4 verse 18 says, There is no fear in love, but perfect love casteth out fear. One of the things that can be a real roadblock in the communion of the saints is precisely that, fear. Fear. What does that mean? Well, so easily we can fear each other. What will they think if they know I struggle with that? I don't want them to know. So I have to hide it. To put on a face. To look good on the outside. I have to make sure that when I come to church, no one sees the real me or sees what I'm really going through. That must not be the case. Where there is fear, where we hide from one another, where we won't show our real selves, that fellowship isn't going to go very far. It's not going to get very deep. And so there's two applications here. In the first place, we must be a people who are not quick to judge each other. A people who don't look askance at someone because, oh, they got that in their life. They're struggling with that. They did that. But, but an understanding people. We're struggling with the same things as sinners. We have the same weaknesses. We need the same forgiveness. We need the same power of the Spirit. And so, I understand the struggles of my brother, my sister. When I hear my brother or sister has fallen into sin, my first response is not to bring the hammer down in his or her head or run them through the rumor mill. But to approach that brother or that sister in Christian love, seek to help in any way I can. The, the communion of the saints flourishes in an atmosphere where God's people need not fear 
the hammer of rash and hasty judgment coming down on their heads. But where we can be open with each other as fellow believers wrestling with the same things. And like Philemon, minister the word to one another to refresh one another, strengthen one another, and help one another take the next step down the pilgrim path. So let's work and strive on that, beloved, to be such a people. Not quick and rash in our judgment, but now we also have to strive here because it's our culture to be closed in. There's lots of reasons for that. It's easy to put up a front. But when we're open with each other, we let other people see who we really are. We're honest about how life is going. That actually builds fellowship. It allows us to connect on those things that are most important. Let us cultivate that kind of trust. Those kinds of relationships in the body of Christ. It doesn't mean that we bear our whole soul to every other person in the congregation. But it means we're willing to be real with each other. About the struggles of the Christian life. About what we're going through. The church is the hospital of the great physician. It would be a pretty bad hospital if the only kind of patients that were accepted in the hospital were those who were completely healthy or only had minor scrapes and bruises. No, a hospital receives the critically injured, the very sick, as well as those with more minor injuries. And that's God's will for the church as well and for the communion of the saints, that it be a hospital for sick sinners, sinners who by grace are made saints. We're striving together on that pilgrim path to heaven. Let us as a congregation be that kind of community. And so it's something to discuss. Something to not be afraid to talk about as a congregation. Where are we strong? How can we grow in the communion of the saints? What can we do to enrich our fellowship? Healthy things to discuss as fellow believers. As a new season of Bible study will soon begin. There's an opportunity for us to come together and to discuss these things. To grow together in the communion of the saints. To refresh one another. As Philemon refreshed the saints in Colossae. Let us be vibrant in our fellowship. Now lastly this morning, there's the second aspect of the communion of the saints that comes out. And that's service. Service is everywhere in the book of Philemon. Philemon served the congregation. Onesimus after conversion serves Paul. Paul serves Onesimus, Philemon and the whole congregation. Sending Onesimus back for the benefit of the body of Christ in Colossae. And writing this letter urging Philemon to receive his servant back as a brother beloved. And that fits with what the catechism says in explaining how we live out the communion of the saints this way that everyone must know it to be his duty readily and cheerfully to employ his gifts for the advantage and salvation of other members. That's 
our focus. The focus in the communion of the saints is not what can I get out of this congregation, but what can I give to this congregation because all of the gifts that I have, all that I have is given to me by God to be used in service. To be a Christian is to be a servant. It's to be a slave of Jesus Christ. And if we don't want to be a servant, what we're really saying is I don't want to be a Christian. A Christian is a servant. A servant of God and a servant of his people. And there is something uniquely joyful in engaging in that service. You get that impression from Philemon. Philemon was a man who loved to serve. Onesimus once converted, became a man who loved to serve. Who gave himself to helping and ministering to Paul. And undoubtedly upon his return to Philemon's household, dedicated himself to the service of his brother in Christ, Philemon. So you see, the, the, the communion of the saints is about as countercultural as it gets. The world is screaming at us every single day. It's all about you. Live for you. Put yourself first. And sinful nature says, yeah, I love that message. But contrary to the feelings of the flesh, the live for yourself mentality leads to emptiness, loneliness, broken relationships, No real communion. But in the church of Christ, where the message of the gospel is, employ all of your gifts readily and cheerfully in the service of other members, there is rich communion. There is joy. There is a life worth living. And so let us devote ourselves To that great, good, and beautiful work. There's so many ways to serve. Whether it's visiting. Whether it's bringing a hot meal. Whether it's coming up to a brother or sister in the congregation who's kind of by themselves. And they need someone to talk to. Or you can tell just from their demeanor that something isn't right in their life. They're going through something tough. You minister to them with a kind word. These are the things that refresh the inner man, build up the body. Dearly beloved brethren, fellow laborers, fellow soldiers, let us live this out. Let us embrace that gospel paradox. And it's only a paradox according to human wisdom. When I empty myself, then I am full. When I lose my life, then I find it. In serving, I find the most surprising blessings. This is the communion of Christ's saints. Amen. Faithful God and Heavenly Father, May thy word encourage us and strengthen us to pursue a vibrant communion of the saints here in our congregation. We thank thee for our congregation, for all of its members. Bless the use 
of gifts that they may tend to the upbuilding of our congregation. This we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.